listening to First Church Charlotte. I'm looking forward to what God has. I want to start out today by telling you a, a testimony. Uh, Sister Bridget, where are you at? Did, oh, right here. The lights make everybody uh, disappear on me. Uh, it happens when you get old eyes. You know, the I just see this wall of lights and lots of shadow. She had a tremendous testimony. Um, now, she is, uh, Bridget's one of our prayer warriors here at the church. In fact, yesterday at our Freedom Day, which was, by the way, a tremendous success here this past Saturday. Um, it was just amazing. For nearly three hours, we had about 80 people here, and we made we repented together we made proclamation together we prayed with people anointed them with oil uh, five or six times uh, just very systematic going through all of the scriptures that related to those things but she was she was here part of that team of intercessors who prayed with people she had uh, this past week had a testimony of God's protection um, in her family and in her home so I want to show you something put sh show that that first picture that I, I sent to you guys. This is a, a bullet hole in her home. Um, I should explain this. Uh, about uh, late December, uh, she had a dream. Uh, and in her dream, uh, her house was on fire and her son was at risk in the house. And um, she shared this with me. I'm just sharing it with you. And the reason why she's not sharing it is she's long-winded. <laughs> She's not as bad as Lisa, but she's long-winded. And if she get, tells, it'll be here all day. And then there'll be like angels and all kind of stuff. No. Um, and in her dream, she, you know, like all of us, when we have a dream, you don't immediately know uh, exactly how the Lord is awakening your spirit. Or maybe you're just, it's just something that isn't necessarily spiritual. But after a dream, you know, you go into that giving it to the God, giving it to the Lord, trusting the Lord. And um, just a few days later, there was a drive by uh, shooting and uh, some of the bullets came into their house. Show that next picture. Uh, this is uh, one of the bullet slugs recovered by the police. Now, here, here's the thing. Um, when she had that, that dream, she began praying protection upon her home, just speaking protection in the name of Jesus. So I want to tell you this story. Uh, the bullets came in at the bathroom and um, they should have continued through uh, and then gone through the thinner inner walls of a house and into where the family lives uh, in the center of the house. But uh, much to the astonishment of the officers who were there investigating, uh, the bullet came in the house and then made a right turn and went into her closet. Now I should explain. I should explain. Uh, Sister Bridget's fancy. She has got lots of clothes in her closet. And the Lord was like, we know where to stop a bullet. <laughs> and the bullet came in there. And whether and however, however that change of direction happened, whether God used the physical world and it, it came out of the wall different, whether he had an angel standing there with a Louisville slugger. And when that bullet came through, it was like and knocked it right into the closet full of fancy clothes. That bullet was stopped by those powerful fancy clothes in just a moment. What am I trying to say? God is a protector. 
I said, God is a protector. This is evidence of how God protects his people. I want to celebrate God's protection in my life. I want to celebrate God's protection in Bridget's life, in her family's life. I want you to know God will not leave you without his protecting hand upon you. Oh, praise God, somebody. We've had, we've had so many testimonies here recently of what God has done. I'm so thankful for his, his demonstrated power among us. Uh, before I get into my message here today, uh, I want to make you aware of a couple things. First of all, uh, after this service, if you're interested in hosting a small group, leading a small group, you need to connect with Pastor Don. He's going to be uh, right across the, uh, in the, the Life Center next door. There's a classroom there, and he will be answering questions. At this stage, you just if you're interested, you don't have to be committed. You just want to see if what's possible. Uh, maybe may, uh, just, just to explore. Today is all about Q&A, and so we believe in connecting one with another, and small groups is the best way for us to do that. And also, we're starting back to First Steps. I teach Lesson 1 of First Steps today. Right after this class, we feed you lunch. We take care of your children, which is harder than lunch. And uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, if you want to hear all the crazy stories, I'll tell you all the crazy stories uh, today after this class next door. All right, stand with me. James chapter number four. <clears throat> I'm going to read at verse number six. But he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Somebody say, help me, Lord. <clears throat> Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. <clears throat> draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Look at your neighbor and point your finger and say, that part's for you. That part's for all of us. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Tell them, don't forget that part. <laughs> purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Whoa. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Amen. 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 I'm going to preach, teach. I don't know how it's going to go. We'll see. But my subject today is jumpstart. I want to jumpstart 2020. I don't want to wait till March to get ourselves sorted out spiritually. I want to jumpstart right here today to make this a year of spiritual victory, spiritual progress, according to the will of God. Somebody say in Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated. This passage here with James communicating over the generations to us in the form of these holy scriptures, uh, it's easy for us to read the book of James and, and think of it in terms of another epistle. All of the epistles are rich and all of the epistles are beneficial. And it's easy for us to read those passages, grow from them, learn from them, and move on to the next epistle. Sometimes we read without understanding the context 
the words are written in. I want to say this. I want to encourage all of you in this year, 2020, to read through the Bible. It is easier now than ever because of the tools that are available. You can download any of the Bible apps. They have multiple plans within them uh, that will allow you to do it thematically, allow you to do it in um, chronologically, um, and various uh, types of selections. And so I want to encourage you to do that. We need to speak the word. One of the most powerful things we can do is use the, the word of the Lord as a sword. A sword is unique in that it is both defensive and offensive. Most of the armor that is signified in the teaching of Paul that we put on of the spirit, uh, the armor, most of that is defensive in its construction, but the sword of the word is both defensive and offensive. And so when you're back on your heels, holding on, barely making it, you quote the scripture. And when you're leaning forward into victory, you still quote the scripture. Amen. And so as we read through the book of James, it's easy for us to miss the the nuances of what is happening here, the special circumstances and considerations. So let me very quickly try to uh, catch you up on context. This James is not the disciple... Uh, it's not James the disciple of Jesus. Uh, he uh, has been martyred at this point. Um, this is James the brother of Jesus who was not a believer uh, or at least not in any public way that we know of during the life of and the ministry of Jesus Christ. James was a convert upon the resurrection. After the resurrection, he becomes a believer. Now, this makes perfect sense to me. It's hard to believe that your brother is is the son of God because you grew up with him. That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. Y'all can laugh if you don't want to, but if you, uh, if you didn't grow up with a brother, well, mm, I don't know what to say. Um, I I just want to point out James after the resurrection, he becomes a, a a disciple, a convert. Um, and he comes to prominence within the early church because even though he has not had all of the same ministerial exposure, it's impossible for anyone to say that anyone knew Jesus better. This is why in Acts 15, uh, and where there is the first congress of the church and the question is asked what to do with Gentiles, they defer to James because the, what they want to do is they want to do what Jesus would do. That's, that's important. That's how all of us want to live. We want to do what Jesus would do. And so no one could say there, even Peter, uh, even John, that they had a better sense of the heart, character, nature, and, uh, and the like of Jesus than his brother James. Now, James was not formally educated in the manner of uh, an academic or a lawyer in the house of Israel or a scribe who worked for the temple. Uh, James grew up in the same manner Jesus did as the son of a blue-collar worker. I want you to, to, to read the book of James with this understanding. However, as the son of a blue-collar worker without formal uh, academic laurels, credentials, he cannot claim to have sat at the feet of a famous rabbi like Gamaliel or trained at the uh, school of a famous rabbi like uh, Shemai um, or, you know, Hillel. Um, he really is 
what we might think of as a type of an average Joe. And here he has been placed by God, notice this, as the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is where all of the converted Pharisees live. They are, for the most part, going to go to the church in Jerusalem. And so, James has the largest concentration of converted, uh, almost said converted, that would be very interesting, converted Pharisees, converted Pharisees in all of the all of the land, they would be in James's church. Now, however many converted scribes there are, you want to know where they go to church? They go to James's church. However many converted lawyers of the civil application of the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, they are going to go to James James's church. And so, can you imagine? Now, so all pastors, um, they we we have studious types, and uh, can you? Imagine imagine pastoring a church full of uh, lawyers of Moses' law, uh, a church full of uh, Pharisees, uh, a church full of Sadducees, a church full of scribes. You can't misquote anything. Because then you get that text from that one brother, uh, Brother Nathan, I noticed you said uh, they, and the scripture says thee, thank you, blessings upon you. He is without any of the formal education that the people on his pews have, and yet God has placed him to pastor them. I want to say something here. If you can only learn from people who are like you, you are missing the great wealth of the body of Christ. If you can only learn from people who you would make their decisions and you have their educational background or you have uh, some equivalent approval of what they have learned in God, you're going to miss a great many of God's words from you. God may want to use a donkey to tell you to shut up sometimes and he may tell, use a donkey to tell you to stand still. A donkey may save your life if you just can hear... And you don't have to always qualify who's worthy. You want to kill participation in a church? Turn it into a competition of judging who should and should not be doing anything. The Lord will turn that on its head. He'll prophesy through a child and rebuke through a donkey and then speak with a still small voice. Oh, I see. I'm going to have to preach a long time today. You didn't get enough coffee. That's all right. I want you to see something here. James is in this unique position, and James writes to them uh, very practically. He does not argue theology with them. Paul is going to handle the vast majority of what you think of as systematic theology in the New Testament. Also, John and Paul, and to a lesser extent, Peter, uh, they're going to be the ones who handle a lot of systematic theology. James is not going to deal with a lot of systematic theology because people who think they have nothing to learn in a subject won't get anything you say. And so he hits them in the arena of their practical needs and he says to them things like this, where do wars and fights come from among you? Now this is a message that scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees and the like need to hear. Why can't y'all get along? Well, we want to fight over the scripture. Why don't you hush? Why can't you get along? I'll tell you why you can't get along. You have pride problems. 
this fighting comes from this desire to elevate yourself and exalt yourself. You lust and you have not. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. You ask amiss. You spend it on your pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? James is making some real rubber meets the road application of spiritual truths. Now, if we're going to go into 2020 with a spiritual jump start, I want to take one paragraph that James gives us as a handful of practical insights. And I want to give them to you. And I want you to go into this year to come with these tools in your hand. And I believe this kind of a practical rubber meets the road application of spiritual truth will turn the tide toward that which God has for you in 2020. I believe the challenge for us is not in terms of debate, not in terms of I agree with this one and I disagree with that one. It is in terms of real world evangelism, real world victory, real world testimony. Can I have a big amen? So first of all, I want to read this to you. Verse number seven. Well, first of all, let me back up to six. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. James will start with this and he will end with this in this passage we're reading. He resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. That's the beginning, the end of it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. As long as we are impressed with ourselves, we resist things of the Spirit. As long as we are exalting ourselves and being pleased with ourselves and reviewing others and in some manner seeing how we have done this well and we're doing this well and we're doing something about that causes God to resist us. He resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Now, let's let's move through this very quickly. But the first principle I want you to take from James's teaching is the principle of spiritual submission. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's not natural for us to be humble. It's natural for us to uh, evaluate the effort we've made, decide if we did a good job, and then be rather pleased with the job we did at being humble. Uh, The preacher D.L. Moody used to say, Lord, make me humble, but don't let me know it. Why? Because if you're humble and you know it, you're soon humble no more. Maybe I should say that to this side of the church because they didn't laugh as fast. Maybe the conviction was getting in. If you're humble and you know it, you're not humble very long. You're pleased with how humble you are. Like some of us, you make humility look good all of a sudden. You'll laugh about that later. Anyway, if you are impressed with you, it's hard for you to be correctly impressed with God. Because the only way to see God is this. Without you, I am nothing. There is no approach to God that goes like this. You're pretty good and I'm not bad. No, that doesn't work. He alone is holy and we are in desperate, desperate need of his hand. We must practice spiritual submission in our walk with God. And uh, we 
Because we fight with humility. It's not natural for us. We have to pray. And I want to give you this. Don't pray for humility. Pray for grace. He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Most of us don't pray overly much for humility because we're afraid the Lord will answer, uh, answer that prayer request. And um, when you, I, I don't know if, when you were growing up, if your parents ever had a really rattly car. Um, when I was growing up, we had a church truck that was a work truck. And when we were building this building, it was a 66 Chevy, um, had a flatbed on the back of it. And it looked like it had been used in one of those competitions where you pay $5 and you hit a truck with a sledgehammer. And my dad had painted blue in an effort to redeem it because he was all about some redemption and he got blue he got blue spray cans you remember doing this I did this with you we bought those blue spray cans of uh, this was before rustoleum that's when it got good this was the older stuff that came off the second week you know flaked off and then we got some silver and uh, we painted the truck blue and went and taped off the wheels we taped with the wheels sil- silver they had no hubcaps on them they were those old Chevy style two-piece rims and you you, you, you use that silver that sh- silver paint on them. And um, and then what we did, we were building this building here, and so we'd load the the, the, the truck up with tools, and um, but it was just a flatbed, so we'd tie it down. And if for some reason, if uh, my dad was going to drive me to school, and one of the cars wasn't right, and he drove me to school in that '66 Chevy flatbed with a straight six 300 cubic inch and the shifter on the dash. How many of you ever see the shifter on the dash? Oh, you millennials, all you know about YouTube, you don't know where the good stuff. Is. The shifters on the dash like this, and we'd come down the road to Eastway Junior High. And you know what I would do? I would slump further and further down on that chair. By the time we got to school, my dad was riding solo, and I was on my face in intercession praying for deliverance. Um, we don't pray for humility because we're afraid God will put us in a 66 Chevy flatbed pickup painted with a spray can, uh, and he will. So I'm not praying for humility, but I'm going to pray for grace. Because <laughs> if God will give me some grace, I desperately need it. The second principle James is going to give us is this. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, what do we mean by resistance? For us, that word is commonly used uh, and almost to signify someone being kind of passive-aggressive to you. You know, kind of like when you've made someone you love mad and they really want to tell you off, but they don't want to because they're enjoying being hurt. (laughs) Oh, I'm fine. What? I'm fine. Anyway, enough about my wife. Moving along. I'm worried 2020 is not going to be a very spiritual year. <laughs> so, so that's how we think of this word resistance. Now, for, for the, the, in their usage, resistance is a military word. It's not a passive-aggressive, pouty word. That's how we use it. For them, it's a military word. For them, it's saying fight back 
at the devil. Resist the devil. I have often heard this misquoted, and I hear people quote it this way. Um, Flee from the devil. You flee from the devil. No, the Bible does not teach us to flee from the devil. We flee from temptation. We fight the devil, and we do it in the name of Jesus. And when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. The church isn't running away from a fight. The church is mighty and terrible like an army with banners. We resist. I'm here to tell you, you can make a difference in your world. I'm here to tell you, you can make a difference in your family. I'm here to tell you, your prayers can make a spiritual difference. I wish someone believed that here today. You don't have to accept the way things are. You can speak the name of Jesus over the needs that your life represents. Fight back. Yes, the enemy will attack you. Don't be surprised when he attacks you, but fight back. How? Fight back by quoting the word of God. Fight back by praying in faith. Fight back by unifying with your brothers and your sisters. Fight back by speaking and proclaiming the promises of God. Fight back by fleeing every temptation. Listen to James. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, we're going to humble ourselves number one. Secondly, we're not going to be intimidated from spiritual contest and spiritual battle, but we're going to speak the name of Jesus and resist the powers of the enemy. And here's number three. This is an example of, of spiritual reciprocity, so to speak. And I would, I, I would say it in the same manner that, that James says it so clearly. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. It's almost he can, you can hear James saying, all right, you guys, you've been fighting over what Moses meant about this and arguing over what happened to the body of Moses. And you're arguing over whether or not there's a thee or a thou, or there should be a syllable. I'm just making up the kind of arguments that theologians have. Y'all are just arguing, 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 arguing. I've got a message for all you overeducated people. How about this? Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. This is a principle of serving the Lord, of being spiritual people. Let me ask you this. If you feel far away from God, uh, it's a fair question to ask, who moved? Uh, Did you move away from God or did God move away from you? Usually, it is us moving away from God. We are drawn away by lusts. We are drawn away by temptation. We are drawn away by sin and we need to draw near to God. But if we're going to do that, we need to cleanse our hands and we need to purify our hearts. We need to quit making excuses that serve as a type of of cover-up for ourselves, a type of, of excuse for ourselves. We need to admit that our hands are dirty with sins and our hearts are distracted in their attention to the world. So we cleanse our hands because we're sinners and we purify our hearts because our mind is not wholly focused upon the things of God. This is the fourth principle James will give us for practical victory, practical spiritual overcoming in the life of the believer. Now I want to admit being intentional with our repentance. This is this is something that we demonstrated here yesterday at, at our freedom service and, and and we talked about a subject and we reviewed what the Bible said about it. We 
proclaim, we repented of our errors in that regard. Uh, and then we laid hands on each other and we prayed for each other and we spoke the promises of God over each other. When you get intentional in pleasing God, you get serious about looking at the scripture and you begin to focus upon clean hands and a pure heart. You recognize there is some changes that need to happen. This can feel like hard work. Uh, Hosea gives us an image of this in chapter number 10, uh, verse number 12, where he says, plow up the hard ground of your heart. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. I don't know uh, that much about farming. I've learned a little bit recently on YouTube because there's farmers on YouTube, Uh, but if you see them deep ripping a field, it will be not the disc blades on the top. They call it deep ripping because if they don't get below the hard pan, uh, the water will stay above the hard pan and that's not enough to nourish the plants. And so you can literally see them using the biggest bulldozers made and they have a shank on the back of this that is, uh, uh, these are huge, a quarter of a million pound machines, D11s, Caterpillar D11s, and the six foot shank that goes down. Why would you use a machine that weighs a quarter of a million pounds and use a shank that goes down six, seven feet in the ground? Well, I just so happened to watch one of these farmers interviewed because I'm interested in diverse things. And he said, here's the problem. There's a hard pan beneath the ground. And when we irrigate, the water will just stay above that pan. And there's not enough soil nutrients above the pan for the plants to live. You have to break the hard pan so the water can get down deeper and the nutrients of the ground can combine with the irrigation of the water that comes from above and then plants can flourish. And I thought to myself, that preacher, that that farmer is preaching a very good message right there. This is what it means to break up the hard heart. There's a shallowness to so much of our life and we get harder and we get more calloused and we get harder and we get more calloused and we're less sensitive to the spirit and we're less moved because all the things we have done, uh, all the things we, obligations we have, all of the pains we have endured, all of the entertainment we have consumed, it has all made us callous and callous and the spirit has to break up the hard soil of the heart. Hosea says it, plow up the hard ground of your hearts for now is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and shower right Righteousness upon you. This is what we want to see happen in 2020. We want to see the heavens open and the life-giving rain of the Spirit flood this barren land. And we don't want it to burn off in the hot sun, to be evaporated and then gone to another field. We want it to combine with the soil, the broken soil of our hearts, and out of that grow something that is beautiful in God. I'm almost done. Musicians, you can come. Finally, uh, James says this. This is the fifth principle he gives us uh, here in this uh, passage in James chapter number four. Um, He says this, and it's so interesting to hear the way he said it because it sounds like such a downer. It sounds like such a depressing thing to say. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy 
to gloom. Now, this does not sound like um, anything that would get you enthusiastic about what you are going to do this week. This sounds like the worst idea ever. What is he saying? He is using the, a style of speech which is uh, well known to the hearers of these uh, of this time. They they knew what he was he was saying. They understood his intent. Basically, he is saying this: um, quit playing games and start taking this seriously. That's what he's saying. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, and you were like in those years where you were kind of having a hard time paying attention in church, now all our kids are saved, going to heaven. They're all sitting on these front rows. They're all so good. I can hardly stand how good they are. You guys are just awesome. But when I was a kid, sometimes I was bad in church. In fact, sometimes in the middle, I'll tell you all a true story, my mother used to come off the organ in the middle of the service. <laughs> And grab me by my ear and take me out to the bathroom like she was going to give me a lollipop. And then when she got in the bathroom, she tried to kill me. And just so you know, the other parents in the church, they took their kids out like they were going to kill them. You come to me right now. They got said they'd give them a lollipop and they'd say, please be good in church. Not my mom. That's right, Jake. I can tell I got both attention. He's like, my God, don't give. I just read that thought. He's like, don't give my mom ideas. (laughs) Totally saw that right there. It's too late. Sorry, dude. Now you have to suffer. You ever seen uh, like like kids acting up and an usher comes by them or one of their parents come by them and says, stop acting like that. How many of you ever had that happen to you in church? Oh, y'all are so righteous. I'm I'm, I'm just... Imagine James talking to all these people and saying, look, you guys need to quit playing games. You need to take this seriously. Quit making a game of this and take it spiritually. And so these truly become uh, principles that we want to take into this new year to jumpstart everything God has for us. Number one, spiritual submission. He's on the throne. We're on earth. We're going to serve him and let him be God. Number two, we're going to resist the devil and know that through the name of Jesus, we have victory and the devil will flee from us. Number three, we're going, it's just not complicated. We're going to draw nigh to God and he's going to draw nigh to us us. Number four, we're going to cleanse our hands and purify our hearts. Number five, we're going to take this seriously. We're not playing religious games. We're not going through routines. We are going to take this seriously. And then he ends right back where he started and that is this. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. I want so much for this year to be a year of spiritual productivity in my life and I know you feel the same way uh, or you would let your holidays continue over Sunday and you'd still be sitting sitting around doing as little as possible in the mode of holidays everywhere but you're here in the house of the Lord on this first Sunday because you have something in your heart that's yearning for God you have something in you that desires to be a vessel in his hand I'm praying this is a year of breakthrough in your life I'm praying this is a year of anointing in your life your testimony makes a difference in this year. I'm claiming claiming it today in Jesus' name. Stand with me all across the house. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that as a church, as a group of believers, as a body of, of, 
of, of Christ here on earth. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, that this year would be a year of spiritual purpose. We're starting seven days of prayer and fasting today. We're, we're going into a time of seeking after the Lord. We're going into a time of desiring spiritual effectiveness in our communities, in our families, among our friends. We want this neighborhood to know that you're real and you're near. We want the communities around the church to experience you, Lord Jesus. And we want it to start right here at First Church. I'm praying for your anointing to be upon everyone here. I'm praying that they would have the sense to hear the, the, the simple principles that James would give us to, to, to turn their heart toward God, to, to reach out in hunger, hunger uh, spiritual hunger and, and, and spiritual desire to be used of God. Lord Jesus, let it happen in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. I'd like to invite you to step out of the chair you're standing in right now. And I'd like all of you who will, who will respond to this moment of the presence of the Lord. I'd like you to come down to the front here. We're going to pray together before we're dismissed. We're going to believe together before we go our different ways. Our guests, our friends, feel free to come with us. We won't embarrass you in any way or draw attention to you in any, any specific way. We just believe God has something for us here in this place. And we believe that 2020 needs to be a year of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the demonstration of the Spirit in our lives. And I believe it can start with you. I believe it can start with each one of you. Lord, we want to repent as a church for allowing other things to steal our energy and our focus. And this year, we want to return our energy and our focus to you, Lord Jesus. As a church, we want to repent, Lord, uh, for using the gifts you have given us simply to, to, to secular ends. Uh, using the gifts you have given us simply for, for the, the, the careers and various interests of our lives. Lord Jesus, we want to make sure our abilities are being directed back to you. We want to take everything we have and direct it back to you and what you can do in our heart and in our life. Lord Jesus, we want to repent for allowing ourselves to be intimidated by the spiritual contest that is real uh, as we work with people, as we lead people. We, we've been guilty at times of letting ourselves be intimidated and, and being hesitant when we should be bold and being questioning when we should be authoritative. We should be authoritative in the scripture. Lord Jesus, I'm believing today that you can let our hearts be changed from that timid way, from that, that, that fearful way to let us become strong in the word, strong in your presence with the confidence that only comes from, from having spent time with you. Lord Jesus, let the outpouring of your spirit be real among us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. I want us, I want us as a church, I want us to be filled to, filled to overflowing, filled to almost excess. We're, uh, we're not just have enough for ourselves, but we have enough for others in need. I want us to be filled like that with the holy presence of God in our life. We are a spirit-filled church. And if you're, if you're here with us and you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, 
signaled and signed by speaking in tongues, I want you to I, I, I want you to believe that this gift is for you. What's the point of tongues? Now, we've often talked about this. Tongues itself is a sign. It's not the only sign, but it is a sign. And when we receive the Holy Spirit in our life, it's one thing to know God is with us. It's something else to have the confidence of the manifestation of God with us. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Jesus Jesus told them to tarry, but he had already, in a very obvious passage, breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. But you don't see the change in their countenance. You don't see the change in their confidence. He said he would go away that he might be with them. They already have the promise, but they don't have this change in their confidence. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost falls and they begin to speak with tongues, you see this change in their confidence. Now you can no longer intimidate them. Now they're no longer afraid. They have a transforming experience in their life. That's the point of tongues. Is the transforming confidence and experience that turns fearful believers. They already believe. But now the fearfulness is gone. The hesitation is gone. True life change is being unfurled in their life. Because of the change they have experienced in their heart. So all of you have felt the presence of God working upon you. All of you know the omniscient uh, on the presence of God. All of you have felt conviction. All of you have felt uh, direction from the Lord if you've served the Lord any time. But if you have not received tongues, I want you to know there is yet still a New Testament biblical gift that God wants to give you for the purpose of transformation, for the purpose of transformation. You're no longer the fearful, hesitant person who does not know who they are, but through this experience, you know that God is with you. Now, what's next? Um, if you if you have already repented of your sins, if you've already been baptized in, uh, in water uh, according to the scripture, the next step for you is to get comfortable in praise and worship, to be caught up in praise and worship. Uh, it's just, that's just the next step. Uh, if you are uncomfortable being caught up in praise and worship, it's going to be really hard for you to receive the gift of tongues. Why is that? Because it just doesn't go with your brain. Your brain you're overthinking everything. And so I want to encourage you to practice the, the style and the habit of worshiping with zeal and fervency. Worshiping with zeal and fervency. Why do I say that? The Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people. And so praise becomes a pathway to his presence. His manifest presence among us. I know there's some of you here who you, you've served the Lord sometime, but you're uncertain whether or not you've spoken with tongues. Uh, you may have had stammering lips and you're uncertain. I want you to have an experience with God where the uncertainty is gone. Now, I'm not saying the Holy Ghost hasn't been working on you, in you, or even through you. God can do whatever God wants to do, and God does draw. He draws sinners right now. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Not just the ones who spoke with tongues. He'll draw all men. The Lord has drawn you. But transformation is his gift. Do you see? Transformation is a gift. So what's next for you? Get comfortable worshiping the, the Lord. If, if you have specific questions about this, um, 
I want you to come to the third lesson of First Steps. I want you to come to all of First Steps because I want to get to know you and that's the best way to do it. I want to tell you all my crazy stories so we'll know each other and it's fun. Um, I want you to come to the third lesson. The whole hour is spent on what it means to be a spirit-filled church and how to get comfortable in the presence of the Lord. This is who we are. This is who we will always be. We want to see the manifestation of God in our midst, like the book of Acts. We want to receive all the gifts that God has for us, including uh, the manifestation of His Spirit. We want this because this is what it means to be a first test New Testament, first century church. That's what we want here today. So I want you to pray with me this year, 2020. We're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in this community. There's a lot of good people who come from a church tradition where they're afraid of tongues because they've seen it misused. I'm, I'm not unsympathetic. I've seen it misused. But just because somebody made a mistake with a medical instrument doesn't mean the medical instrument doesn't have value. Do you see what I'm saying? Just because a tool was misused doesn't mean the tool isn't given as a gift of God. It is something we want to see here in our church. We want to help people get comfortable with it. We want to help people experience it in a non-weird way. We want people to be able to find a pathway into the presence of God and see it in the scripture, understand it theologically, and then experience it in their life. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we're praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit here in this church, in this community, in this city. We know that this part of the country uh, is not necessarily a, a strong bastion of Holy Spirit, uh, tongue, tongues, theology, Lord. We know it's a little bit more of a denominational or, a, or of a safe interpretation of these things. This part of the country needs an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, Lord Jesus. There's a lot of good, good, good Christians and good, good denominal people. and They just, they just have been afraid of it. But Lord Jesus, it is your gift through the book of Acts. And it is to all who are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God will call. Lord Jesus, we're praying that in this place, we would have uh, the expression of the Holy Spirit. We would see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We would see the miraculous. We would see the demonstration of your power, your anointing, your authority. Lord Jesus, let it work among us, O oh God. Let it be that which transforms us. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.